Hello, this is Ken Ferry with this week's Boots in the Field report. With the weather the crop received this past week, and man, we finally got some wheels under the bus and we're rolling down the road. Most fields are starting to show some pretty significant improvement. Now we still have a lot of rough looking fields and some areas are still fighting the battle. Some guys spent three days replanting only to have two to seven inches of rain last Thursday to fill the ponds back in. Most people are finishing planting beans and others are finishing replanting corn, some for the second time. Last weekend, Janine and I traveled to northeast Iowa. I saw a lot of great crops. They're dealing with some ugly corn syndrome in the corn on cornfields, but in general, the crops look really good. Now, I don't say this to rub salt in the wound if you're fighting tough stands and on your farm. You know, but sometimes we look out the door and we assume the whole country is in the same shape we are. If what I saw represents Iowa, Minnesota, and Wisconsin, I would say the Midwest is in pretty good shape. As I traveled the state these past 10 days, I saw a large amount of ugly corn due to the carbon penalty. I mentioned it to Katie that it seems like we have more ugly corn than usual. She reminded me that I'm usually in Canada fishing during ugly corn week. And this is true, but the big factors driving the, the nitrogen and sulfur deficiencies are high carbon loads and surface nitrogen that's been pushed down uh, in the soil due to the heavy rains coupled with high temperatures, which not only lit up this crop, but it lit up the microbes as well. A lot of the corn on bean ground is starting to turn the corner already. It's going to take longer for the corn on corn. The 10-day forecast is somewhat dry with low humidity, moderate breeze, meaning we'll have high ET days. Well, this will be a good thing for the big corn that has depth of root. It could cause some rootless corn issues in the small corn. If the soil dries out around the surface before the corn will set its crown roots, you can get a floppy or rootless corn. The crown roots will not grow into dry soil, unlike brace roots, which will grow in the air. If the soil is not conducive for crown roots to develop, the plant continues to grow off of the seed roots and usually the first set of crown roots. As that corn plant gets bigger, it's not anchored well and it can't support its own weight, causing it to flop around depending on which way the wind is blowing. Two main reasons for poor crown root development is sidewall compaction with open slot in no-till. It happens in conventional till when we don't firm the soil with the closing wheels to hold the moisture around that seed. This is a common problem when guys use no-till spader wheels in conventional till. The best cure for rootless corn is rain. The second best is a row crop cultivator if the corn is big enough so you can cultivate fast enough where you can roll the soil in around the base of the plant before it falls over. And again, I'm talking about a row crop, so some of you youngins may have to Google that, a row crop cultivator to get this job done. Busy week on the in insect front. Uh, scouts, we need to go to work. Cutworm are still active, especially in the small corn. Armyworm feeding reports are coming in in the wheat, oats, and corn planted into covers. 
In some cases, they're in the oatlitch that is being chopped for forage. Watch those neighboring fields. They will move. The rootworms are more than 50% hatched and larvae are starting to feed. We can start doing root uh, floats the end of next week to get, kind of get a handle on field pressure and resistance issues. If any scouts find uh, early detection of high rootworm pressure, if you would call it in, we'd like to try some plots in the area of rescue and different techniques. So if you find a high pressure rootworm out there um, and find it early, call it in. We'd like, to, we'd like a shot at trying some wide drop techniques on it from a rescue. Continue to get reports of plants dying to wireworm damage. Don't forget to map those or mark them out. They'll be future trap sites so we can monitor that insect. Today, Friday the 12th, I was putting in a sulfur cidrus plot at Crescent City with uh, the Goldensteins. The field was a real attaboy field. Dark green corn, 26 inches tall. When I walked through it, I was flushing out corn borer moss. The only problem, it is a non-GMO corn, and it will need to be watched for first-generation corn borer issues. I'll have Zach put up a little video of this field on the website. Scouts, remember, first-generation corn borers like the bigger corn. You more senior customers remember when corn borer used to be the insect to manage. As we plant more non-GMO corn, our new scouts are going to have to relearn this. Start scouting those non-GMO fields the end of next week looking for shot holes in the world. The side dress season is in full swing. I am impressed with how many guys are pulling nitrates. Keep it up. Tammy's crew over at CropSmith in Farmer City is doing a fabulous job of turning these samples around quickly. We're doing nitrate submittals online this year. Zach has put a program together that makes it uh, a much easier process than in the past. It's sort of a beta version and he is tweaking it as issues arise or users have given him inputs on ways to improve it. The better job you do of filling out the submittal, the better rec you'll get back. We are seeing some patterns evolve in the nitrate results. The longer the end has been on and the more rain the farmer has received since that application, the more end is missing. The fall anhydrous without an inhibitor and the winter applied AMS seem to be showing the most missing in. The earlier the spring applied weed and feed was applied, the more that is missing. Now the amount of rainfall does really play a role in this. The only problem is how spotty some of these events were it's hard to make a general call on what's missing for an area. You guys are doing a good job in updating me on yield goals and stand issues, which also leads to a better recommendation. Remember, yield goal and stand counts are important in our recommendations. The most exciting thing that's happened this week is the appearance of soybean flowers on our early planted beans pre -solsis. I have to be honest. I, I didn't expect this with all the issues beans have had to deal with. Being in the ground 40 days, getting hit with the freeze, heavy rain events. Farmers are on flower watch, have been sending in pictures from across the state. We have three six beans planted on March 7th flowering. We have three six beans planted on April 2nd. 
three five beans planted on April 5th, three seven beans planted on April 6th. All these beans have been hit by the freeze and a number of them have been hit with their diphenyl ethers because they're non-GMO. Here at the Corn College, we have two fives and two nines planted April 16th that started flowering June 10th. Our three nine and four ones planted April 16th are not flowering yet. Not sure they're going to make it. These flowers will be the bottom pods that we're looking for. I was so excited to see beans flowering, I picked a bouquet for Janine. I even clipped the stems off and put them in a glass of water. I thought, you know, this is pretty romantic. A husband giving his wife flowers at her place of work. She just rolled her eyes and shook her head. Apparently soybean flowers don't rank up there the same as a dozen roses. So guys, if you're thinking about giving your gals a bouquet of soybean flowers to gain some brownie points, take it from me, it don't work. To stay up to date, check out our website at croptechinc.com and subscribe to our podcast, Boots in the Field Report. Keep her safe, keep her moving.